Good morning, everyone. Can everybody hear me okay? Loud and clear? Okay, okay. Well, I appreciate the opportunity very, very much. I appreciate you all letting me come here. Uh, I don't come to, I don't know if you classify this as Eastern Kentucky. I wouldn't say so. Maybe the gateway to Eastern Kentucky. Uh, but I don't come this far east very often. And so I appreciate you all letting me do this. I uh, appreciate the opportunity uh, very, very much. I uh, hope that the words uh, that I have prepared for you this morning can be of both an encouragement and of some edification. Um, I know that, that many of you all I have never met before, and I don't suspect that many of you all have in turn met me either. Uh, so maybe you'll get to know a little bit about me uh, in the short time that I've been blessed to be here uh, today. Uh, but in every lesson that I give, I always try to do a few different things. One, I always try to teach you something new. Now that's hard for me to do because I'm not very smart. I, I certainly am not. So I hope I can maybe teach you at least one thing you did not know. Uh, something else I always try to do is I want to leave you wanting more. Uh, I hope that when I've taught you this morning, you might think about something that I've said and thought, well, I want to know more. If you feel like I've left you hanging, uh, sometimes I do that on purpose. I do that not for the sake of leaving you hanging, but in hopes that maybe you might feel encouraged to dig a little bit deeper into God's Word. And of course, lastly, I do hope to encourage you. I hope to offer you some encouragement this morning uh, with the words that I have uh, prepared. And so without any further ado, if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles handy and turn them over to the book of 1 Timothy. Turn them over to the book of 1 Timothy. And as you're turning over there, uh, 1 Timothy is where we are going to be spending uh, the bulk of our time. And the title of this lesson this morning does in fact come from that book. And of course, if you're not familiar with the book of 1 Timothy, it was Paul's first letter to Timothy. And he sent this letter to Timothy in hopes that Timothy would take the contents of this letter to a church in Ephesus. So if you ever read the book of Ephesians, the book of 1 Timothy might give you a little bit of insight into some of that. And so over in the book of 1 Timothy, though, in the very first chapter, Paul encourages Timothy by encouraging him to uh, remember the aim of his charge. If you have an English Standard Version of the Bible, that's where the specific uh, title for this lesson comes from. But over in 1 Timothy, if I can find it, my Bible books move around sometimes. I don't know if yours do either. But over in 1 Timothy in chapter 1, we'll start in the first verse. Paul said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. From which some, having strayed, have turned to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, yet understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Again, if you have an English Standard Version, that fifth verse reads, The aim of our charge. I think if you have a New American Standard, it says, The, the purpose of our instruction. Paul tells Timothy, as he's about to go to Ephesus, to remember what his aim is. Now again, if you keep the context in mind, uh, Timothy's been told to go to a church that is doing something wrong. And he sends them to that church and he says, Timothy, I want you to take this information so that they don't teach false things, but in turn so that they might teach true things. Now, 
I don't know about you, but have you ever had somebody just walk up to you before and say, that's not right? I have that happen to me a lot at work because I tend to do things that aren't right. Don't know very much. And so when somebody approaches you in a situation like that, it probably doesn't make you feel very good. Well, imagine if a fellow were to come, say, all the way from Barron County to Somerset and say, everything you're doing here is wrong. Now, that's not what I'm going to do today, I hope. Probably wouldn't make you feel very good. And in fact, if that person were to be rather young, like Timothy was, and to go to a place and say, hey, you're not doing this right, you need to make some corrections. I can imagine things would get pretty frustrating pretty quick, wouldn't it? And in turn, these conversations that I'm sure Timothy was going to be having with these Christians in Ephesus might turn into some tense conversations, what you might call an argument. Maybe you've had one of those before. And if you've ever had those types of discussions with people about spiritual issues, I think it is so important that we remember Paul's words here to Timothy, encouraging him to remember the aim of his charge, the purpose of his command. Because if you've ever been in a heated discussion before, and if you're like me, if you've ever been in any discussion before, do you have a tendency to say things without thinking very much? Or maybe if you're involved in something that you really, really believe passionately in. You know, maybe it's politics. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's church. And when you have these conversations, it's very easy to let your love that you have for your neighbor turn into something else. And so again, as Timothy's about to go to these Christians in Ephesus, Paul wants him to remember, hey, as you're about to do this, recall what your aim is. Your aim is love. Your aim is love. Our aim, I think, as Christians today is still the same. It's love. Whether we be speaking to other Christians or speaking people who aren't Christians, that's crucial. So crucial. Now, if you think about that word love and, and trying to remember what it means to you and what it means to me, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, doesn't it? You know, if I say I love sweet tea, which it, it's borderline, I like it. That might mean one thing to you versus if you say, hey, I love, I love this show. I love it. But then if you talk about maybe somebody else you love, well, surely you don't love the show as much as you love so-and-so. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So as Christians, I think the first thing to keep in mind with this lesson this morning is knowing that our aim is love in everything that we do. It's important to keep in mind what our love should be directed towards, who it should be directed towards. Over in Matthew chapter 22, you might recall when Jesus was being tested. He was being tempted by the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. And we read that one of them was a lawyer. He approached Jesus, testing him, as the scriptures say. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus could read minds. He heard the Jewish leader ask that. and He said, well, hey, here it is. He said, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He encouraged the people listening that the absolute most important thing in the life of a child of God is to be prompted by loving God. Now, was that a new commandment? No. I'm sure when Timothy was hearing this from Paul, Timothy might have been thinking, Paul, I already know that. But it's so important that we remember that as Christians. We bear his name, Christians. And so if it's him we're serving, it's our love for him that should prompt us to do everything that we do. But you might recall shortly later in Matthew 22, there was another commandment like it. 
And what was that? But thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so as Timothy is being motivated by love, he's bringing God's truth to these people in Ephesus. And Paul thought it so important that it was the very first thing he mentioned to Timothy. You know, does anybody here like history? Wow. Oh, one. Thank you so much. One of you like history. We'll talk later. If, if you're free later, we'll talk. I love history. Anybody here like military history? I eat it up. When I was a little boy, I used to go outside on days like today. We had a Cincinnati Reds jacket. And that was my uniform. And it didn't matter if it was 100 degrees. I had my cap rifle. I loved it. I ate it up. Well, if you ever read a good war book or watch a good war movie, commanders will do this very same thing before a soldier goes into battle. They'll urge them to recall their aim. They might say, hey, guys, this is what we're fighting for. And why do they do that? Well, to motivate their soldiers, to let them remember why they're there, what their aim is, what their goal is. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm a Christian like Timothy, and I'm about to argue with a bunch of people who've been around the block a lot more than me, it could be very discouraging very quickly. And if I'm Timothy, I might say, why am I here? And so our aim is so important. But now as Paul encouraged this to Timothy, there were three things he said after this. Not only did he say what his aim was, what his aim should be, but he encouraged him where such an aim should come from. You know, people are motivated by a lot of different things. And I could say that I have a goal. Maybe my goal as a runner is to win the race, or my goal as a baseball player is to hit the most home runs. I could say what my goal is. But if I don't know where that goal comes from, what motivates me to have that aim? The motivation for the motivation, you might say. That too is just as crucial. And so three big things we're going to spend our time talking about too this morning is there in verse 5, Paul says that this love, that is Timothy's aim, his purpose, his the purpose for his instruction, his goal, he says it's to come from a heart that is pure. It's to come from a conscience that is good, and lastly, it's to come from a faith that is sincere. There in that fifth verse, you might have a side note in your Bible there. Instead of sincere, it will say unhypocritical. He says that's where this aim should come from. If I'm a Christian and I'm showing my love for God and my love for my neighbor, it needs to come from those three things. Not just two of them, not just one of them, but from all three. And so that being said, that first one, the idea of having a pure heart, what is that supposed to mean? Well, if you do some digging into those things called dictionaries, the word pure is the idea of something not being contaminated. It's the idea of something being, being just, just as fresh as it can be. You know, if you ever get a chance to get a glass of water, maybe, and you drink it, and it's really good, you might say, man, that's some pure water. Now, you might not say that out of the tap, but if you ever get a chance to go to a national park like Glacier, they say you can go there and you can hike to where those glaciers are and you can drink some of the freshest water you can find. And you'd call it pure because it's fresh. It's right there from the source. And yet Paul says that's the kind of heart we need to have when we're going about teaching others, when we're reaching out to others, showing our love towards God and our love towards our fellow man. Now if you start to think about that a little bit and you let it simmer, you let it ruminate, 
and you start to think about actually being pure, does anybody here have a pure heart? And you might think, well, sure we do. But if you think about it practically, you might say, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, I did this the other day. I did that the other day. I thought this the other day. I said this the other day. And as Christians, if you are a Christian, you know Romans 3.23. Some of you probably quote it by heart, couldn't you? All have sinned. I think it was three. Maybe I could be quoting it wrong. Maybe that's the wages of sin is death. But Romans talks about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we've all sinned. And so if you think about it practically, and maybe, maybe you're one of these Christians in Ephesus hearing this, you might think, well, how can anybody have a heart that's pure? Job cried that out to God. When he was upset, he said, Lord, how can man make his ways pure? Well, if you'll thumb with me through a few pages, we can find that there is a way for a man's heart to be pure. If you recall back to the Psalms, if you turn all the way back to Psalm chapter 51... King David knew that it was something he could not do on his own. You might recall the mighty King David, a man after God's own heart. Speaking of hearts. And over in Psalm chapter 51, down in verse 10, he was crying out to God and he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He recognized that when it came to having a heart that is pure, a heart that is clean, something that's uncontaminated, he needed to go to somebody else to make that happen. How many of you that still live at home, do you wash your own clothes? When I was a little boy, my pants got dirty. When I was seven years old, I remember you know, using a washboard, cleaning my own jeans. No, that's not how it worked. <laughs> my memory slipped me, didn't Yeah, well, what's a washboard? No. We got two hanging in our bathroom. It took me the longest time to figure out what those were when I was a kid. I had no idea. But when my pants got dirty, I didn't, I didn't go clean them. When I was a little boy, well, I said, hey, Mom. I certainly didn't go to Dad. I said, hey, Mom, I need help. It's dirty, and I need somebody else to clean it. I didn't know what to do. Well, spiritually, if we want to have a pure heart, we need to recognize that we can't do it on our own. This is not a lesson to say don't do your own laundry not the point but we need somebody else to clean us and David recognized that there was somebody who could do that if you flip through a little bit more of the Psalms and go over to Psalms chapter 19 David recognized over in Psalm chapter 19 we're reminded of where such purity can in fact come from driving this point home even more over in chapter Psalm or over in Psalms chapter 19 down in, uh, in the whole chapter really the whole chapter talks about something else that is pure and that something else is God's Word. If you want to skip down to verse 7, the psalmist wrote, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. It's one of those verses It's hard to read and easy to sing, right? I mean, God's words are pure. So if you're wondering, well, how can I be pure? How can I have a pure heart? We need to trust in God's word. You need to obey Him. I can't clean me. You can't clean me. Only He can. Imagine using a dirty bar of soap to try to wash your hands. I know it's a weird thing, a dirty bar of soap. 
drop it in the mud, it's dirty. You try to use it, it's not going to work. So we need to recognize that only somebody else can make us pure. And to apply that more directly for us as Christians, if you want to skip over the book of Hebrews chapter 9, I know we're flipping around a lot. If you see some pages fly out of my Bible, pay it no mind. I, I use my Bible as a combination of a, of a filing cabinet and a, and a memory system. But over in Hebrews chapter 9, down in verse 11, when the author of Hebrews was talking about the, the idea of, uh, he's making a lot of references to the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, they would offer sacrifices to more or less put off these sins. They couldn't get the forgiveness of sins that they needed. Well, over in Hebrews chapter 9, down in verse 11, we're told, But Christ came as high priest of good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And it's, it's hard to want to stop there because there, there's so much more that drives that point home. But when Jesus came and He died on the cross, He was the perfect sacrifice. So if we think about our hearts being unclean from sin, the idea of needing to be clean, well, He's the perfect sacrifice, wasn't He? If you've been a Christian for a few years, that's maybe something you learned about rather quickly. The need for having a, a pure sacrifice. He's it. And so we need to have a heart that's pure, and we can't do that on our own. We have to trust in God and His words and His commandments. And just as a side note, you know, we live in a world with a lot of distractions. And whether it be different preachers or different teachers or maybe as parents or as co-workers, we can say a lot of different things to a lot of people. But if I'm not pure and I'm trying to tell somebody else how to be pure, there's a problem there. We'll get to that a little bit later. But here in Hebrews, the author here also talks about this idea of cleansing our consciences. Over back in the book of 1 Timothy, down in chapter 1, and in verse 5, after Paul encouraged Timothy to have a heart that was pure, that second point he mentioned, he said we need to make sure, he says that our conscience is good. So now the next question, what in the world's a conscience? Everybody has a conscience, right? I hope so. If not... Keep an eye on that guy, whoever it is. What is a conscience? Well, in layman's terms, it's that, it's that little voice in our heads that tell us what's right and wrong, right? You've got the angel over here, the devil over here. Should I steal the cookie? Should I not steal the cookie? And it's your conscience that motivates you. Well, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. And if your conscience is good, is that a good thing? Well, hopefully so. Yes, it's a great thing. Because if your conscience is good... And say you lie about something. Not a big lie, just a little white lie. It's not that big of a deal, or is it? And when you tell that lie to mom or dad, you get that gut feeling in your stomach, and you think, oh, I don't know if I should have done that. That's maybe a good sign you have a good conscience. So it's the idea, the idea of a conscience, if it's good, you have a good understanding of the right thing to do and a good understanding of the wrong thing to do. Now, when I was a little boy, that was a very simple line. Things were very black and white. 
When I was a kid, you did this, you didn't do that. Now, I didn't always live by it. I'm not saying that at all. But as kids, things are very simple sometimes, aren't they? You know, when I was a little boy, it, it, things just made sense. If, if my buddy had his, if, if he had an extra set of clothes, he could spend the night. Why not? It makes sense. He's got spare clothes. We've got the time. We've got the space. Of course he can spend the night. But then we get into more serious issues. Well, this is clearly right and this is clearly wrong. Well, I will because that's what mom and dad said. It's that simple. And then when we get a little bit older, well, what mom and dad say changes and we don't know. And, and so our conscience becomes much more fragile. It's more serious. We recognize it's a lot more valuable. And here to Timothy, Paul says, hey, make sure your conscience is good. So now the big question, how do we get one? You can't buy one. But if you think back to getting a pure heart, it's a great place to start, is remembering who knows what's right and wrong, whose words are perfect, whose words are true. It's over in Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet Isaiah, when he was speaking to the people of Israel. And in referencing God, he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And he talks about how his ways are higher than their ways. If you want to skip over there, let's read that real quick. Over the book of Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, down in verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and verse 9. We read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Anybody ever seen the movie Matilda before? Maybe. You remember the actor, the short guy? It's always funny. He'd always say, I'm big and you're small, I'm right and you're wrong, and there's nothing you can do about it. These verses always reminded me of that. But the difference is the person saying them is a lot more qualified, isn't he? The person here saying them, well, it's God's words. And when we think about how much God knows and how little we know, it really humbles us a whole lot. Over in Proverbs chapter 14 and 12 and in chapter 16 and verse 25, they, they say almost the exact same thing. So if you skip to either one, you can put me to the test, and I'm sure it'll depend on what version of the Bible you're in. It says, there's, it says oh, a man's heart, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its way leads to death. You ever have folks who think they just, they just, they just know everything? Not me, not you, you know, nobody here. It's never us. You got somebody you work with, you know, they just started maybe yesterday on the job and they know exactly what to do because their way's right. Maybe that's us too. But we need to recognize if we want to have a good understanding of right and wrong, a really good conscience, we have to trust in God. We have to know that it's His words that are pure, His words that are clean. But over in the book of 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 1 Peter, Peter reminds us as Christians where a good conscience begins. Over in 1 Peter and in chapter 3, if you look with me down in verse, right about verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, he wrote, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. The writer talks about how through baptism, a good conscience goes hand in hand with that. And it's interesting too, he talks about that idea of being pure, of being clean too, right? Saying, hey, look, we don't, hop in, 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 you know, we don't hop into baptism to physically wash off our sins to say, hey, this is the removal of the filth of the flesh. <laughs> Excuse me. But it's a, a spiritual cleansing. And with that, a good conscience. So a lot to think about there. But the last point Paul made to Timothy, not only do we need to have a heart that's pure, a conscience that is good, but if you can have favorite parts of Bible verses, this is kind of my favorite part because personally I feel like this is kind of what Paul is driving at to Timothy because if you can figure out this last one, the other two really should fall into place. But really if you understand one of them genuinely, you can understand all three. But that last part there in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 says the purpose of this commandment is love from a heart that's pure, a conscience that's good, and a faith that is how? Well, a faith that is sincere. Anybody ever wrote a letter before? Yes, no? Oh, just one. Just one. One of you has wrote a letter before. You write a letter. How do you end it? Well, you get that fancy quill pen, you dip it in there and you write, sincerely. What does that mean? When I was a kid, I never understood what that meant. I thought, well, it's just what you throw at the end of a letter. You just do it. It's kind of like when your parents say do something. You don't ask, you just do it. Whether you understand it or not. Well, when you write sincerely at the end of a letter, after everything that you've said, you are telling your reader that I am genuinely writing to you these things. So if you're saying, hey, I hope all is well, and you sign sincerely, you're emphasizing that you mean it. Sincerely. So, so you know, around Valentine's Day... Sincerely yours. I'm really yours. If you say sincerely, you're being genuine. You're being real. You're being honest. Again, if, depending on what version you have, my Bible here as a side note, it says sincere or unhypocritical. And specifically when it comes to us as Christians, Paul wants Timothy to know, hey, as you're about to go to Ephesus, aiming for love, make sure your heart's pure, Make sure your conscience is good and make sure your faith is sincere. Now, we could spend a lot of time if I were to say, why is that so important? Well, it's so important for a number of reasons, right? If I say I'm a Christian and I show up to church on Sunday morning, I get a tie, jacket, pants, shine my boots, and I show up and I make sure that everybody sees me. And then I even come back on Sunday night and I even... I even come back on Wednesday. And I let everybody know, where you been? Oh, I've been at church. I love the church. I like church. And I let everybody know how much I like church. But then come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm saying all sorts of things about brother so-and-so at church. Mad at my boss about this. Drive home a little tipsy because, well, I've just had a rough day and I deserve it. And then I go home to maybe my spouse and ignore them. Don't care about the kids. 
but I'll be at church Sunday and Wednesday. Well, imagine if Timothy conducted himself that way. And he's trying to teach these Christians in Ephesus how to conduct themselves in the household of God. How are they going to take that? Imagine if I showed up here today, just squalling tires, I come in and every other word out of my mouth has to be bleeped out. Say, I'm ready to preach. <laughs> Y'all wouldn't let me come up here. You'd probably say, hey, you're at the wrong church. <laughs> Go down the road. We'd say, that's not right. That's no way to live. I'd be a hypocrite. And it's so important because Paul wanted Timothy to make sure, hey, make sure your faith is a real one. In layman terms, make sure you practice what you preach. I think it's in Matthew 7. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter under the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. We can say we're Christians. And I can say, hey, I'm a, I'm a real Christian. But if the conduct of my life says otherwise, what's going to be more powerful? Actions speak louder than words, right? We've heard that since we were itty-bitty. My mom was a kindergarten teacher for 35 years. I'd always hear actions speak louder than words, and sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Actions are more powerful. A great, great place to go to, to remind us of that, is over in the book of James. And over in the book of James, down in chapter 4, all through, or excuse me, chapter 2, all through chapter 2, from verse 14 down to verse 26, James emphasizes the importance of our faith and our works going hand in hand. And here's the thing too, I can have a real faith in God, but if I'm not doing the things that he's saying, if I'm not living that life out, we're going to have some problems. There in chapter uh, 2 of verse 14, James wrote, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? You know, it's kind of a random side note. There are some folks who will say, Hey, Scripture says, By faith man is saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. It's in Scripture. Random side note, did you know Satan used Scripture to tempt Jesus in the wilderness? Anybody can quote a Bible verse, right? So let that be something to chew over later. James says, hey, you can have faith, but, but what? He says, well, hey, but what profit does it have if you don't have works? And I like this analogy he paints where, he, you know, I'll just describe it in, 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 the, in the Luke Edmonds version. Guy's walking down the street. He sees a guy struggling. says, hey, I hope you get to feeling better, buddy. I'll see you later. More seriously, imagine somebody's in a fire. House is burning down. They say, help us. Hey, good luck. You're going to slap a medal on me and say, hey, Luke really cared about those guys so much in that. He said, good luck. Doesn't work like that. Unless we have something to back it up. If you want to skip down, we'll read starting in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Tying those two together. If you skip down to verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. There's a lot in there, and I don't mean to skip over all that, but I'm you, there's a lot. He talks about Abraham. You recall the faith of Abraham? God said, Abraham, I want you to take your only son, the son of promise, your son Isaac. He says, Lord, what do you want me to do with him? Kill him. 
But God, he's the son of promise. Kill him. But Lord, you said I'd have a, a child. Take him up to the mountain and sacrifice him. And what did Abraham do? He, he was about to do it. Why? Because he had faith. And he didn't just tell God, oh Lord, I would do that if you were serious. I believe you, but I'm not really going to do that, but I'll do it. His faith was shown because he didn't just say it. He did it. Now what does it look like if we don't? Well, thank Peter. You remember Peter eating that last supper? Jesus said, hey, all you guys are going to betray me. Not me, Lord. I'll stick by you to the very end. Through and through, up and down, good and bad. And yet, three times, what did he do? I don't know the man. No idea, never heard of her. Three times he was approached when Jesus was being taken away to be killed. His faith, well, he had faith supposedly, but the works weren't there. Now, we give Peter a hard time. He did a lot of good things in the New Testament we read about in the book of Acts. But we need to make sure that our faith is genuine. Our faith is sincere. And so when we think about all of that being put together, Timothy there, Paul to Timothy there in that first chapter, he throws on one more warning after saying that. And there back in chapter 1, after he encourages this, he warns that some have strayed, which implies that there were some people who were in and now they're out. If you're on track to drive somewhere, say to Somerset, Kentucky, and you pass the wrong exit, what have you done? You've strayed, which means you were going the right way, but now you're not anymore. Paul warns that to Timothy. He says, hey, this stuff that I'm telling you to do, some have strayed and have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. As Christians, we need to make sure that we don't fall into that trap. Because whether you be a man, whether you be a woman, whether you be old, whether you be young, we are called to spread the gospel. Now, if you read the book of 1 Timothy, hey, Timothy, his, his goal here was to teach Christians how to conduct themselves in the household of God. But if we think about ourselves as Christians going out into the world, do you think the idea of having a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith is just as crucial out in the world? Absolutely it is. You won't believe how many people I've spoke to that aren't Christians, and I say, well, you know, what's the deal? I mean... Let's just, just straight talk. Why don't you want to go to church? Well, every church I've been to, so-and-so does this. So-and-so does that. So-and-so says this. And nine times out of ten, and, it's, and I'm not saying it's a good excuse, but I think it's a very interesting one. But the most excuses I ever hear, it's what it boils right down to is unsincere faith. Because other people see Christians who say one thing but do another thing. So, yes, our conduct matters whether we be reaching out to Christians or not. It's a big deal. And so the final charge that I will share with you this morning, down in verse 18, Paul said, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. And he mentions two people specifically here that Paul had a problem with. But he encourages Timothy. He says, hey, this charge I commit to you, wage the good warfare. 
Now, you might say, well, things took a quick turn real quick. Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 made it very clear to us that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare, aren't we? You know, the way I like to think of spiritual combat is not like an invasion. You know, we're not invading planet Earth to force everyone who's not a Christian to be a Christian. You might think of it more like liberating. You know, when I was a little boy, 9-11, we went to the Middle East to help liberate the people of the Middle East. Why? Well, not to take over and say, hey, welcome to the United States, but to say, hey, we're trying to free you from this problem. World War II, when we invaded France. Well, France isn't the 52nd state in the U.S. We liberated France from Nazi Germany. As Christians, when we try to remember our aim being love, teaching others the truth, waging this good warfare, having a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, we're doing so to help free people from their problems. That's our goal. We're trying to help people realize, hey, you're in sin, and we need to help you get out of it because, hey, this is a big deal. There's a God that's real. I mean, the whole point of life is all about God, fearing God and keeping His commandments. And so that's, one could say, maybe the most important mission we have here on earth. I had a good friend one time, he said, Luke, have you ever thought about what you can do on earth that you can't do in heaven? And so I was thinking, now, yeah, you know, all these different sins, and he said, you can't save sinners in heaven. I said, well, that's a good point. Why not? We'll be there. So as Christians, may we recall what our aim is. Our aim is love. As we share people the word, I know i got a big Bible here. Don't literally, I'll show them. Share them the words in it. Talk to people. Know that you're being motivated by love. That you've got the conduct to back it up. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I hope that this can motivate you to, to think about that in your own life. Are you being loving towards God with all your heart, soul, and might? Are you obeying Him? Are you loving others as best as you can? Not by just going with the flow and saying, well, I'll just tell people what they want to hear and you know, I'll make everybody happy and we'll have a good Sunday afternoon. Or am I going to genuinely share the truth? Better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. It's something to think about. But if you're here and you're not a Christian and you've thought about these types of things, you've been contemplating that decision, I encourage you to take advantage of our time together. So if you're here this morning and there's anything we can help you with, I'd encourage you to, to come forward while we stand and sing the song of invitation.